you have to learn how to let go of things and realize what you do have control over and what you don't have control over and to kind of be able to hand things over to a higher power or whatever you might perceive as a higher power and just live one day at a time or sometimes even just one minute at a time. This is Expanding Horizons. Candid conversations, passionate people, important issues. Produced by the Jesuit Institute, South Africa. Heather Mason describes herself as an American in quirky Johannesburg. She's a photographer and blogger who nine years ago made Johannesburg her home. Her blog, twosummers.net, tells stories about Josie, South Africa, and other exotic places of the world that she visits. Recently, she published a book of her blogs, The Two Summers Gauteng 52 Challenge. She describes the book as part coffee table book, part guidebook, part quirky blogging nonsense with beautiful photos and design and text kept as close as possible to what I wrote in my blog in 2017. I am Russell Pollitt and I'm very happy to have Heather Mason with me for this edition of Expanding Horizons. Welcome, Heather. Thanks, Russell. Who is Heather Mason? We know you're an American, but tell us a little bit about where you grew up, your life, your family. Okay, well, I was I grew up um, outside of Baltimore, Maryland in the United States. I've always been a writer and always sort of enjoyed traveling. And at some point in my life, I lived overseas briefly in my early 20s, just in the UK for a few months. And I always thought I would live overseas again. Um, but kind of moved away from that. And then in my mid-30s, I sort of abruptly abandoned my life uh, working as a writer for an NGO and moved to Joburg and knew very little about Joburg at the time, but somehow I'm still here. Your blog tells the story of how you came to be in Johannesburg and how you came to be in South Africa. You met someone, and as they say, you followed your heart. And sadly, that relationship ended in tragedy and heartache. What made you stay in Johannesburg after that? Normally people run away from those things that leaves them with so much pain. Yeah, so just uh, so a bit of background. Um, my Through my work, uh, working for a nonprofit organization, I met this photojournalist. His name was John. And um, yeah, we had sort of a whirlwind romance and it was very dramatic. And um, I came here because this is where he lived and... Didn't yeah I don't know I did I didn't really have a plan for how long I was going to stay or how that was all going to work but John, I mean he really inspired me he introduced Johannesburg to me because he he was always going around doing stories about the city and he would just take me along and he taught me photography, and really encouraged me um, to start this blog and to keep it going and so yeah when he passed away which was about a year and a half after I'd moved here um, at the end of 2011. By then, my blog, you know, people, a lot of people in Joburg were reading it. A lot of people around the country were were reading it and people overseas also. And I could see that it was, it was having an impact. And yeah, I just, I thought if I go back to the United States now, what will I do? I mean, my, the life that I'd had before was dramatically different from the life that I had uh, developed here. And uh, yeah, so I just kind of took it one day at a time and, and, and never left. You process the whole thing that you went through the loss that you went through, kind of on your blog in a way. You found writing a kind of therapeutic way of dealing with the tragedy, the heartache, the questions. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, when I first started writing this blog, I, I there was a part of me that tried to remain kind of um, anonymous personally. Like at first, I didn't put any pictures of myself in the blog. I didn't, you know, say specifically who I was or who John was. But then... 
over the court, the, that year and a half um, leading up to John's death, I, I realized that, you know, I started to realize that the more personal stuff I put into the blog, the, the more it sort of helped me to, to deal with what I was going through. And also I got so much interesting and like really nice response from from the people who read it. And, you know, John passed away from addiction. And I remember on the day he died, I, I remember thinking, okay, either I'm going to write about this on the blog or I'm just going to have to stop blogging because it was, you know, there, there was no way to sort of move on and, and keep up this sort of appearance of this fun person going around Joburg doing fun things. I mean, obviously I couldn't, I couldn't really continue that at that time um, when John passed away. So yeah, I just chose to put it out there, and I'm I'm really so grateful that I did because I re I remember I would go through something like really emotional, like I remember going to Swaziland, a place where John and I had spent some time together, and going to the top of this mountain and kind of saying this goodbye to him, and then I I wrote a post about it and didn't really realize what I was writing as I was writing it, but then once I had published and people started responding to it, it was just um it was a very cathartic experience. So and people have written to me over the years since then and talked about how much my blog helped them go through similar things. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that I've had that opportunity to kind of have an impact on people. It's a very courageous thing to do to, so to speak, put your heart out in words in the public domain. Yeah, I mean, it is quite scary. But I think for me, you know, I've written almost a thousand blog posts now. And, you know, and, and it's a combination. You know, some of them are personal, but most of them are more just fun. And um, I developed it gradually. You know, I sort of very slowly worked up to kind of sharing my my life in that way. And and now it's just sort of second nature. So yeah, I don't think of it as like necessarily courageous or, but I, but I am also, I think I do try to be careful <laughs> and sort of about what I put out there and, and think about how it's going to impact other people and myself. And I've never really, I've never had any major negative feedback. So there are many people that suffer the pain of loss. If you were to give people some advice from your own experience now, in some ways, you share your own experience on the blog. But if you were to give people some advice as to how they might live through the pain and the trauma of a loss, what would you say to them? Well, one thing I learned about grief through this experience is that everyone, every loss is different. You know, I mean, every, I mean, we can talk specifically about death or losing a relationship. I mean, there's so many different kinds of loss. And I try to never, I think, I, I try not to project my own experience onto anyone else because I just think everyone processes grief differently and it's really hard to predict, you know, how it's going to affect you. But for me, I think I was very fortunate when I, when I lost John because he had been going through addiction and recovery and relapse and all that. I, I got involved in a 12-step program and that, that really helped me. I mean, I really, you know, learned how to kind of, you have to learn how to let go of things and realize what you do have control over and what you don't have control over and to kind of be able to hand things over to a higher power or whatever you might perceive as a higher power and just live one day at a time or sometimes even just one minute at a time. I mean, there were definitely moments, long periods actually, in that, especially the first year after John died when I just felt like, I don't know how I'm going to continue until tomorrow, but you just kind of have to go one minute, one hour, one day, one week at a time. And I don't know, I'm not sure if that's good advice or not, but that's how I coped with it. There's also this strange thing in human beings. I mean, I remember the first time I met you and I heard there was a blog and I went to read your blog and I and I saw that story and sort of the tragic story of, of something that happened in my own life. Although the circumstances are very different, there's a connection that people somehow are able to make through me just reading about somebody else's loss, even if it's not the same loss, but somehow it helps us to process that and to move on. And almost to know that there's a community out there of people who have experienced the same things, because in society, we simply just don't talk about these things. 
So I find that a very interesting thing. Do you find that in your writing, and maybe it's not just on this topic, but on other things as well, there is this sort of connection that people tend to make with you? Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is one of the great things about blogging and the internet, I think, more generally. I mean, there is this perception that the internet has kind of made us look inward and kind of just be online and not be out interacting with the rest of the world. But for me, it's been the opposite, mm. uh, really. I mean, I, I have been able to connect with so many more people through my blog than I would have. I mean, yeah, if I had gone through that experience with John without having my blog, yeah, I, I don't know what it would have been like. I mean, I, yeah, because it is... Um, things like addiction, especially, or anything really. I mean, there's so many different types of tragedy, but I think that one, especially like there's just, there's so many resources and ways of reaching out to people through social media, through internet, through other blogs. I mean, I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a very useful tool in that way, a very dramatically life-changing tool. Now, any writer suffers a time from what we call writer's block. I'm sure that's happened to you. How and what do you do when you reach a point when you say, I don't know if I can actually put anything on paper. Yeah, I, I definitely do <laughs> go through that. I mean, I think I'm lucky that, like, when I started blogging, I really feel like I found a medium that really, really works for me. Like I said, like, I've been blogging for nine years, and um, I've very rarely gone through periods where I feel like, oh, my God, I just don't want to blog. But I have had it happen. In fact, last year, I think toward the end of 2018, there was just a part of me that felt, yeah, it was just I had some difficult circumstances logistical circumstances mainly around my residence in South Africa and things like that that made it hard for me to feel motivated. But I I don't know. I just kept going. I mean, I always tell other people, other people that are starting blogs, you know, they ask, you know, how do you get started? And I always say, just start and make sure that you set a goal for yourself writing once a week or twice a week or whatever it is and just keep that up. And so there were times when I couldn't manage to write a post every week, but like that was always my goal. Like make sure you get something down once a week, just, you know, force yourself and, um, yeah, I mean, there's no easy way out of it. <laughs> I wish I had better advice, but it's mainly just just forcing yourself. The transition from writing, you were saying you wrote for an NGO, the transition from writing for, say, somebody like that and doing it in print and then doing it on a blog, did you find that a big transition? In a way. I mean, I you know, it's really interesting, actually. I, I was always a writer in various capacities with different, you know, corporates or nonprofits or something of that nature for most of my career. But I never thought, for some reason, I was under this impression that I am not creative. <laughs> you know, I, wow. I, I had always done... Your, your I, pictures alone say something about your creativity. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, and I'd never done photography before. And, but I think I was fortunate um, when I was working for this nonprofit, which was called, it was called the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation. I had a job creating content for their website. And that was like the early to mid 2000s. And blogging was just becoming a thing. So we sort of... Like, I didn't call what I was doing blogging, but I was writing these stories, these online stories, combining writing and photos to sort of tell a story about what that organization was doing. And so it did kind of, it did lead into my blog in sort of a natural fashion, but it, but it was it was also very different. I mean, I think, and with my photography, as you mentioned, like, I always think of it as a storytelling tool more so than like an art form. But I mean, over the years that's evolved. I mean, I've gotten more, you know, done a lot more different kinds of photography and started pursuing it in different professional capacities. And I do think of it as art now, but yeah, that was sort of a slow progression that occurred. And um, yeah, now I find it actually really difficult to go back to doing like non-blog. When I have to write more formal things, I, it is, it's hard to switch back because it's, yeah, I mean, blogging is like having a conversation.
I want to talk about your photography because I think that for me, if you look at the website or you look at the book, is what's really striking is seeing the world through your lens. You know, the different angles, the color. There's one or two, for example, cityscapes of Johannesburg that you have where the sun is setting or the sun is rising and it's absolutely spectacular. Those, in a way, tell a story by themselves without words. And have you found that that through your photography, through the lens, you can tell stories that maybe words don't capture? Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, this is really, again, I owe a lot to John. He was an amazing photojournalist and he was not a writer. He was only a photographer. And he he recognized very early, soon after I came here and started doing the blog, I was just taking like snapshots with a point and shoot camera. And he he was like, you have a good eye. And he sort of encouraged me to get a DSLR camera. And I think the key for me, the way I learned to tell stories through photos in that way was that at the beginning, I, I didn't worry. About, I think a lot of people, when they pick up photography, they want to learn everything about the camera technically, how to do the settings and, you know, all the technical aspects of it. And then you you get so wrapped up in that that you don't know, you sort of don't learn the, the very first most important thing, which is how to how to see a picture and tell a story with a picture. And I and I picked it up right away because I my camera was just set on, everything was set on automatic and all I was doing was just snapping the photos and like not worrying about any of the other issues around photography. And yeah, I think because I'm a storyteller anyway, and I've been doing that already for a long time, the photography just, just tied into that. Um, and I think I learned... I learned early on like the importance of like connecting with the subject and looking at things from different angles, both sort of literally and figuratively. I mean, I think photography taught me how to do that. And uh, and yeah, I think, and also my father is a photographer. That's the other thing. Um, I, I grew up around photography. Um, my dad was a photojournalist for a small chain of like local newspapers in Maryland. And so, yeah, maybe it's sort of, it seeped in kind of subconsciously during my childhood. And then when I picked up photography, much later, it just it just came naturally, and I sort of I knew how to tell a story through a photo. But again, I think that's also the beauty of blogging. You know, blogging allows you to tell stories with words and photos, and you don't have to worry about like layout or you know all the challenges that go around print mm. journalism, which is you know sadly sort of dying out now. Blogging just allowed me to kind of tell my story, write a paragraph, put in a photo, then write another paragraph, put in another photo, and it just kind of naturally flows as a storytelling tool. So, Are there scenes or objects that you really enjoy taking pictures of more than others? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I really enjoy photographing people. I mean, it sounds cliche, but especially in Johannesburg. I mean, the city is really about the people. And again, I think this is something I learned from watching John, how to sort of how to connect with someone and make them comfortable in front of the camera so that you can I can really capture um who that person is through through photos. That's definitely my favorite thing, although it's also the hardest. I find it much more difficult than photographing landscapes or animals or architecture. I mean, those things those things all have their own challenges, but like photographing people, it takes a lot of courage. You know, you have to really, uh, you have to put yourself out there with another person. And I guess I enjoy that challenge. So you produced this book, which is really putting a bunch of your blogs from 2017 together. The question that everybody asks you, why a book? Yeah, I mean, you know, I had been thinking about writing a book for many years. I mean, my original plan when I first started this blog, I had this vague idea that maybe at some point I would write a memoir about this whole crazy transition that I've made in my life. That still hasn't happened because that's actually <laughs> I found that to be a much more difficult challenge that I keep sort of not being able to achieve. But when I decided to do this How Tang 52 challenge, it was just I just at the end of 2016 just thought I need a new, I don't know, I need something, something new to do on the blog and it just popped into my head that I would try to go to a new place every week of the year for the entire year. 
And first it was going to be 52 places in Joburg, but then I decided to expand it to the whole province. I wasn't thinking about doing a book at the time. It wasn't until toward the end, I started plotting out all the places that I had gone on a Google map and then making sure I reached all the different geographical parts of Tang and yeah, at the end, it just seemed like such a nice set of stories. And I think, I don't remember, somebody toward the end of maybe December 2017 said, you should really do a book of these posts. And I thought, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm going to, I've been talking about doing a book for so long, I'm just going to do it this time. And uh, yeah, so I did. It's a lovely little book with some great pictures, but your blog and your book are about Johannesburg and you're very intentional about promoting the city, Johannesburg, Gauteng. In South Africa, for most people, Johannesburg is the city of sin. It's the dangerous place where nobody goes, especially white South Africans. Uh, it's the place that you steer clear of. Gauteng is the province that you have to be in because that's where the economy sort of turns from, but people would rather be somewhere else. And yet you've discovered places in the city and you give the city a completely different face and this province a completely different face to what so many people think about it. That in itself must be a challenge, but what's the feedback been about that? Well, it's funny. When, you know, when I first uh, decided that I was moving here and I decided to write the blog, I actually started writing the blog before I even had actually made the move. It was a couple months before. And I, I had been Googling about Joburg like people do before they move here, and there was nothing. <laughs> well, there was nothing positive. You know, I found like a few expat websites with negative information. And I, I remember buying like a guidebook to South Africa. I think it was the rough guide. And this this huge long book, I don't know, three or 400 pages. And maybe there were 10 pages about Johannesburg, which is the biggest city, not only the biggest city in, in South Africa, but the biggest city in all of Southern Africa. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, there's got to be more to this city <laughs> than what I'm finding. Hmm. Um, and, and I had been to Joburg once for a work trip a couple years before and, and had liked it, although I didn't really have much time to absorb it. But I, I knew through my work that a lot of people pass through Joburg. A lot of people fly in here when they're coming on holiday to South Africa, and usually they just stay for one night or maybe not maybe not even that, and then they're off to the Kruger, off to Cape Town or whatever. And um, yeah, so I had this idea even before I came that I would maybe try to put something out there that was more helpful for people coming to the city. And then once I came and started writing the blog, very, very quickly, I started getting feedback. Feedback from uh, South Africans living overseas who hadn't been back here for a while and saying, oh, wow, I see you wrote this blog post about this thing called Mabanang, you know, what is it and what's going on around there? What's happening in Hillbrow? I specifically remember somebody asking me, somebody who had lived here many years ago saying, what's happening in Hillbrow? And I had, had no idea. I'd never been to Hillbrow. So I just went on a walking tour and then wrote a post about it. And it just gained this huge response very quickly because even people who live in Joburg, you know, most people under the age of 30 have never been to Hillbrow, except for the people that live in Hillbrow, because they've all been told it's far too dangerous. You can't go there. You'll die, you know. So, yeah, I just sort of saw that gap and moved to fill it just kind of because it was there, you know. Um, and I realized the more that I started to dig into what was happening in the city, just the more interesting things I found. And it, again, it sounds cliche, but like Johannesburg, it's not a city like Paris or New York or, or even Cape Town where you can just kind of like land on a plane, come out of the airport and like get on a train or something and, and, and discover it. You kind of have to have some information at your disposal before you start exploring and then you have to sort of dig under the the surface to find the beauty in the city. But there, there's just so much of it. Have you ever felt threatened yourself in Johannesburg, especially in places like Hillbrow or downtown? 
Right. Well, first of all, I have to say that I am actually quite cautious. I think when I first moved here, I might have had like the rose tinted glasses on. And especially because I was going around with this photographer who was kind of like, he would just sort of go anywhere and make it seem like it was no problem. But, you know, crime is an issue here. Like I, I never want to, I wouldn't want to suggest that that isn't true. I mean, it is true. Like especially petty crime, there's a lot of it. But I do go everywhere, literally everywhere in the city, all the places that everyone thinks are the most dangerous. And I always want to knock on wood. But the worst thing that's ever happened to me is I was pickpocketed once and my cell phone was stolen, like in the Oriental Plaza, actually, in Fordsburg. Have I ever felt threatened? Uh, yeah, there are certainly times, there are places I go where I'm like, okay, I need to be a little bit more careful here. And nowadays, I kind of know where those places are, so I think about it in advance. You know, I mean, I'm always very careful when I'm driving. I don't have my valuables visible in the car. But no, I mean, the truth is no. I mean, nothing has ever happened to me in all the times that I've been exploring the city. But I do think also part of it is luck. And part of it is also, it is very important, I think, in Joburg to just be aware of your surroundings. And especially if you're carrying a camera around, you want to sort of think about when you're taking it out and sort of gauging the vibe of what's going on around you. But I mean, I I've, I've, yeah, generally haven't had any big issues. And I think, yeah, part of it is just being open-minded and kind of connecting with people around me. you say to locals, especially white South Africans, about the city of Johannesburg? We talk about it. White people have either left to the north or otherwise many are thinking places like Cape Town is a better bet. What is your message from your experience? I mean, first of all, I never like to discount anyone's experience. I think there's there are a lot, especially um, white South Africans who have left South Africa and moved to other places. They tend to have a very negative, I mean, this is just painting with a very broad brush, obviously, but I, the negative response that I do get on my blog is often from people who have left and they feel sort of, I think, um, offended or angry that I'm portraying the city and especially like the rough parts of the city, the the more poverty affected parts of the city as beautiful or or nice, you know. And I, it is frustrating, but then again, I think a lot of times people have had bad things happen to them. I mean, bad things do happen in Joburg. You know, people get, they get held up, they get carjacked, their houses get broken into, you know, so that I try to sort of um, keep that in mind when I'm getting negative feedback from people. But I also think Joburg is, and South Africa in general, but especially Joburg, I mean, the history of this place, ever since it was founded, Joburg has been this very rapidly changing, chaotic place, you know, things get destroyed and then rebuilt again. And I mean, apartheid had just a crazy, crazy effect on the psyche of the city. And things have changed so drastically. I mean, a place like Hillbrow or Yeovil, I mean, I think especially a lot white South Africans who grew up in Joburg, a lot of them, they, you often hear the same sort of refrain, oh, you know, Hillbrow used to be this amazing place and you could walk anywhere, <laughs> you could go get, get the chicken from Fontana's at midnight and, you know, and now it's just this horrible, dirty, crime-ridden place. I get that. I mean, it's really hard to see a place that you remember in a certain way and then see that it's just completely different now. You know, it's just, it's not the place that you remember. And I can imagine how hard that must be. I mean, that's also sort of the gift that I have as a perpetual foreigner here. You know, I don't have the preconceived, I don't remember what things were like 30 or 40 years ago. I only see them as they are now. Although after having been here nine years, I've also seen a lot of change and I can feel myself, I start to fall into the same mentality like, oh, this isn't as good as it used to be or whatever. But the truth is Joburg just changes all the time and we have to accept it. What do you love most about Johannesburg? I mean, it's definitely the energy, which is the people. And again, sort of the, the tourism stereotype, the cliche we always hear is that, you know, Cape Town has the mountain, Cape Town has the ocean. It's all like sort of right there in front of you. But Joburg, you kind of, when you come here, you have to look for the beauty. And it's mostly in the people, in the, the creativity. I mean, the, the Joburg has this incredible 
creativity. I mean, the arts here, and it's not like the arts aren't in, you know, fancy galleries or it's not in the sort of, it's not art in the in the conventional sense. It's like happening on street corners. It's the guys making the beaded animals, the women selling baskets or, I mean, and again, like I hate to use cliches, but like the art is just sort of on every corner. And I was struck by that from the first time that I came here. What do you like least about this city of Johannesburg? Definitely the sort of logistical things like traffic. Um, it's hard to get around. The traffic lights don't work. The roads are closed with no like signs telling you. I mean, that's one of the things that oh, coming coming from America, where we have this like amazing highway system where everything is perfectly labeled and like when there's construction, it's always really clear and there are signs. You know, I mean, it's hard for me to deal with here. You just kind of have to. You can't really expect to just get to a place in the amount of time that you thought it was going to take. I find that frustrating. And just the bureaucracy of visas and dealing with work permits and bank accounts and car registrations, you know, things like that are very difficult here, especially as a foreigner. And there is uh, there are issues here with xenophobia, which affect foreigners. And that is something I, as a foreigner myself, I find very frustrating um, and, and saddening at times. Have you ever experienced that xenophobia yourself for being an American? Because the perception often is that People who experience xenophobia in South Africa are normally African foreign nationals from the continent, but people from Europe or North America are very welcome here. Uh, xenophobia in your own experience? I mean, no, I don't want to say that I've ever been a victim of xenophobia. Mm. I think that would be unfair to say. I mean, I think as a foreigner here, the paperwork, getting residency and dealing with visas and all that, that definitely affects me and everyone who is a foreigner, regardless of where they're from. But no, I do. I feel very fortunate. I think that's one of the things that's kept me here is that South Africans, like as a whole, like they really, they love Americans. <laughs> I mean, like I've never, and I think, you know, it, which is maybe quite different from other parts of the world. Like I have never had anyone respond to me negatively upon realizing that I'm American. In fact, as soon as I open my mouth, generally people, I think, become sort of much more animated and open and excited to talk to me because of that. So yeah, but the xenophobia is, I mean, it's one of the things I find most troubling about living here. And I'm just, I mean, there's so many migrant people from other countries who are just really, really struggling. And it's just hard to see and experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And I find it very uh, demoralizing sometimes to sort of, I mean, the, the the poverty gap in general and just the, it's hard to make it here no matter who you are. And uh, yeah, that really goes across all borders and races, I think. In what way do you feel that the work you're doing, the blogging, putting Johannesburg on the map, the digging out of these places of interest which are not well known or, or often not spoken about or, or mapped out, in what way do you think that's helping to expand people's horizons? Well, that is one of the things that I like the most about my blog and sort of the work that I've accidentally been able to do here. I mean, I feel like I have an impact even more so than I did perhaps when I worked for an HIV AIDS charity. You know, I just feel like, yeah, just writing about what's happening in this city really has an impact because, again, there just aren't many places where you can get that information, you know. And especially when I first started writing this blog in 2010, I mean, there was really, there was just a dearth of information and people were just hungry to find out, like, what's happening here. And I do, I get amazing messages, like, frequently on my blog from... I mean, first of all, from foreigners who just, who are going to move here or they're coming here for a visit and everyone tells them, oh, no, don't come. It's too dangerous. And then they find my blog and they do come and they enjoy it and sometimes even decide to stay here or move here or whatever. I mean, and then from locals, you know, people who have lived here their whole lives. But over the last few decades, they've come to believe that there's like nothing to do in downtown Joburg. There's no reason to ever go there. And then they they stumble across my blog and realize that that's completely not true. 
I've heard stories from people who have definitely been motivated to go and discover things in Joburg because of this blog that I write, and that really means a lot to me. 52 weeks, the book, was a real challenge. I mean, I can just imagine doing some writing myself, how the discipline of sitting down every week and doing that. Do you have another project in mind, or is it sort of just freewheeling? You you seem to be someone who's quite gregarious and, and goes with the flow, not necessarily always having a plan, having it mapped out. Do you have any idea of what you might be doing next? Will there be another big project? Well, first of all, strangely, the 52 weeks, it wasn't as difficult as you would think. I think because I I was already blogging at least once a week anyway. So it wasn't a matter of making sure I had something for every single week, even the weeks when I was traveling because I travel home to the United States or whatever. I mean, I had to make sure I had something about Gauteng, some new place I'd been to every week. But again, I'm kind of doing that anyway. So it actually wasn't as hard as you would think. But yeah, I mean, and it's now been more than a year since I finished the blogging project and then I spent last year on the book. But I... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have another book in mind right now. I'm still trying to sell the last few of these books that I've published. And um, yeah, who knows? I am not the kind of person that really, yeah, I don't function with sort of like specific goals all the time. I just keep the blog going. Like, and even at times when I feel frustrated or sort of directionless, and I don't want to know what I'm going to do next. I just keep putting new posts on the blog and just wait for the next inspiration or the next work assignment or whatever it is that keeps me going. And again, I think that's another like amazing thing about living in Joburg. I think, at least for me, like in Johannesburg, there's kind of a freedom and a flexibility here. I think because people are used to kind of having to make things happen on their own. There's just sort of an open-mindedness about people living unconventional lifestyles. And my lifestyle is definitely very unconventional. I mean, I sort of wake up each morning and I don't always know what I'm going to be doing that day. And I'm really grateful for that because it's usually a pretty fun way to live. For the foreseeable future, is Josie going to be your home? I hope so. Like I said, I mean, I've been here almost a decade. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how to, at least from a paperwork perspective, like make this my permanent home. But that is something that I am still aiming for. Sometimes I do get frustrated and I think, okay, maybe it's time to go. I don't know. Maybe I should go back to the United States. Maybe I should go somewhere else. But I really can't imagine going anywhere else. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would have the lifestyle that I have here in any other place. So I hope I can stay. Heather, thank you very much for coming in. Your blog is certainly an inspiration, and I look at it very often myself, so I'm encouraging anybody who hears this to go and look at twosummers.net, read about Johannesburg, Gauteng, South Africa, and even beyond the borders of South Africa. Thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for giving us another side of Johannesburg, a side that is often not spoken about, and uh, for keeping us on our toes. So that's Heather Mason, who is a photographer, a blogger, a writer, and has recently published a book from her blog, The Gauteng 52 Challenge. Please comment and subscribe to our podcast for more candid conversations, passionate people, and important issues. Expanding Horizons is produced by the Jesuit Institute South Africa with music and sound by Francis Tucson. This episode was presented by Russell Pollitt. Visit us at www.jesuitinstitute.org.za.